Anyone who listens to the show knows that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into running an accommodations business. Whether it's a hotel or short-term rental property, preparing, maintaining, and communicating with guests and employees is the name of the game. That's where Breezeway's best-in-class property care and operations platform comes in. Their easy-to-use tools help you automate, coordinate, and communicate with guests and staff in a seamless way. Plus, Breezeway integrates with over 30 PMS and IoT devices, meaning you can easily harness data to enable your staff, make work more efficient, build better schedules, improve quality assurance, harness guest texting, provide comprehensive owner reporting, and so much more. If you're looking for an operations software platform that will make an immediate impact on your business, visit breezeway.io slash proven principles to learn more. I think a problem a lot of businesses have, not just in hospitality, is that they're designing and building a website based on what they want to share about their business. People don't care about that. They care about what they're interested in. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. This is the second episode in our sales and marketing series. My guest today is Steve Wiedemann. He's a scientist, the author of a college textbook called SEO Strategies and Skills, an adjunct professor at UCSD and Cal State Fullerton, and a practitioner of search optimization, working with companies like Disney, Honda, Skechers, Applebee's, IHOP, and many more. The bottom line is if you wanna learn about SEO, Steve is the guy to talk to. When we were pulling together the sales and marketing series, digital marketing and SEO was the top of the list. And admittedly, it was for selfish reasons. It's an area that I've struggled with personally, especially when building my own company. But I've also been in countless executive meetings and have seen very smart people get lost in a maze of metrics, money, and goals. It really seems like it can be a difficult maze to navigate. That's exactly what we're trying to solve for on this episode. Steve breaks down so many important elements and tactics from website building and targeting audiences to understanding paid versus organic search. This episode is heavy on strategy and action. On several occasions throughout our conversation, he takes difficult to understand concepts and makes them not just easy to understand, but shares what to do and how to do it. He even has an offer at the end of the episode for listeners to get free access to his SEO strategies course. So let's get to it. This is episode 77 of the Proven Principles podcast, Steve Wiedemann on search, online presence, and knowing your target audience. Enjoy. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Of course, I'm glad, glad to be here for sure. We are talking about something that uh, admittedly to me is... Um, feels like sometimes I'm talking another language or learning another <laughs> language um, in that, you know, websites, marketing, I think, you know, there's a reason why people uh, dedicate their lives to understanding how all of this works. Um, and so that's one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on today. Plus, this is one of our sales and marketing uh, series episodes here. So this is, you know, the entire month of January, we're, we're dedicated to uh, to putting episodes out that talk about this and just try to Give a kind of a look behind the curtain to people who don't really know what goes on behind the scenes here. So I appreciate you bringing your expertise. And before leading the witness too much, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? What's uh, what's your connection to the industry and, and what are you sure. up to these days? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm definitely a computer nerd, like a lot of us in digital marketing are. I, I grew up with uh, a passion for computing and played the, uh, the old Oregon Trail game on the Apple IIe as a kid. So I, I kind of grew up in that world, and um, you know, as as I started to um, 
you know, see this whole internet thing evolving, I got really passionate about web design and helping clients to uh, to get traffic to their site through one means or another. And there was this this wild west of digital marketing that existed when the internet was still young, and I got to play a a, a pretty exciting role. It's, it's part of the the pioneers in trying to understand what are what are those things you just mentioned? What are what are, what is the roadmap for a business that sells online? What's a business for a, you know a, a business roadmap for um, we'll say a, a restaurant chain or a storage chain? You know how do we how do we get the most and where should we focus our time? Should we be really spending all of our time on website and web development? Should we be spending our time writing content? Should we be spending our time trying to get other websites to link and mention to us? Where you know where should we be putting our effort and so I got really passionate about that, and uh, as I mentioned, I, um, you know, got to write a few information products back in the 2000s when I was SEO Steve, as my my <laughs> handle as I was known back then, and um, you know, I decided to uh, be closer to home and branched off on my own as an independent consultant in 2010. And as much as I tried to just be a one man show, I, I attracted a lot of really amazing people and. Uh, those people have sort of become like family to me and part of what is now the Wiedemann Consulting Group. Uh, we work with chains that include Applebee's and IHOP and Blaze Pizza. We've worked with Skechers, some really exciting and and fun brands. And um, and with all of them, lots of you know interesting challenges that come with it. Lots of lots of interesting things that businesses do to try to game you know results you know from from a search engine standpoint. So my um, um, you know, my thing has always been trying to trying to build transparency and trying mm -hmm. to, um, you know, and, empower our clients to be involved in that process, not just hand the keys to the marketing kingdom over to an agency, but instead to take the time to really learn and understand, you know, the the what of what's involved in a digital marketing plan, and then leave it to the agency on the how. So um, as part of that, you know, my, my vision was to be a teacher, and now I'm also an adjunct professor at UC San Diego and Cal State Fullerton. Um, my co-author of a textbook I wrote uh, last year, Scott Cowley and I, uh, put together some courseware for students, and um, I believe several colleges have already adopted our textbook and courseware into their digital marketing classes. So now I get the uh, the, the additional title, you know, it's, it's just consultant. Now I've got adjunct professor and uh, more recently author. And hopefully I can I can share some of you know those those years of learning and insights to help hospitality businesses to try to get a little bit more from Google and Bing and um, from map results. We have the guy on. So this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Bing, is Bing still around? Yes, it is. I know my mom uses it. I think she still calls it MSN, but that's yeah. funny. Like, mom, um, will you please stop using AOL? Please, you got ESL, you know. <laughs> They're still sending out those discs. I don't even know. <laughs> I have no um, idea. What I, I guess I want to start with asking you, like, you know, from a hospitality context, like we all know, you, well, do you have to have a website? I would recommend it. Okay. That's a good place to start. Yeah. yeah. Start there. So everybody kind of, there's always this burning desire and need to have a, a website and, you know, to varying degrees, companies will put them together. And, and there's always, you know, there's in the hospitality world, they're a little formulaic. They all kind of look the same. They all have similar functions. Um, the imagery is kind of the same across the board. It's, a you lot know, of you've them got use a the same content management systems. So it makes sense that they would appear and function very similarly. That does, yeah, that does make sense. How, what's the point of having a website? Um, 
is it is it just to get your story out there? Is it is it to to have a you know try to get business like a top of the funnel kind of a an endeavor? Sure. Because you just I mean it's one it sure anybody can build a website, but if you're just if you're just a droplet of water in the firehouse, right? What's which is where a lot of people are. Where do you go from there? I think I think the biggest reason businesses have a website is so they can measure the results from their marketing efforts. If you don't have a website and you're doing TV or radio or, or magazine or newspaper, um, and you're, you're trying to promote the business and there's nowhere for them to go to learn more about your business other than maybe third-party sites like Yelp or um, TripAdvisor, which who knows if they're going to even be around forever. It's not a, a scalable strategy to use other um, third-party sites as a way to promote your business. Instead, you create your own website and you drive all the traffic to your site and you can track all the analytics and where the traffic came from. So if I invest in a, I don't know, a display campaign to target uh, banner ads across travel network sites um, and I'm bringing them back to my website, how do I know that that um, investment is yielding reservations at my hotel? Without having the web analytics on your own website to measure that with, you're only going to track clicks and you're paying for clicks, which is okay. But how do you know those clicks aren't fake or how do you know that they're relevant? You know, because they turn into reservations. And if you can track those against those different marketing efforts, whether it's email marketing or if it's affiliate marketing or display, or um, maybe you're doing something a, a, a little more robust and, and trying to combine all those efforts with, you know, a, a programmatic strategy. Maybe you're just trying to appear in, in Google Maps and navigation engines and Google search. How do you measure that? And without a website, it's very difficult to, uh, to get to that bottom line number. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't advise any business doing any sort of advertising or marketing if you can't measure whether it's actually working for you. And that's a, I mean, that's a very, well, simple KPI. It's a very <laughs> clear KPI, you know, right. it, did it result in sales? Because you know, I've I've sat in KPI meetings before. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Uh, but I, you know, I've sat in marketing meetings before, and and there's a lot of talk about impressions and you know how many times you showed up and clicks is always a big one. But uh, if if to your point, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. If you're not actually driving reservations at a greater at a greater percentage than you normally would, I guess you kind of look at a graph, right? And you have like how many people usually show up and how many people usually book. And then if you have a, anybody who's not watching, I'm making like bar graph signs. With my, with <laughs> like my you're are. throwing up gang signs. What's going <laughs> on? But, uh, but, but you're right. You're right. And and the way, the way we like to look at analytics is, is in trend. So there's, there's obviously seasonality. Seasonality got thrown out the door with the pandemic. It went from, you know, we don't know how we're going to stay in business to, we don't know how we're going to, host all of these people that want to come stay with us. So it was this total turnaround because of the desperation of getting out of the house and out of mm -hmm. lockdowns. But um, but the seasonality charts allow you to see what our normal seasonal trend would look like. So you compare against probably 2019 and 18, mm -hmm. if you're going to start looking at 2022, and you look at that graph over time, and then you you create your segments. Your segment is organic search, paid search, display, email, and you look at how you're performing so that you can go back and compare the last 30 days maybe compare the aggregate of the last three months, maybe compare year to date versus year to date of the previous year or 2019, thank you pandemic. Um, 
you know, or, or just doing the full year to, you know, uh, a yearly review versus, you know, the previous year at, um, you know, at the end of the year, I think having mm-hmm. that, that data and being able to see it in a trend, at least allows you to know, are we at where we should be at compared to our normal seasonality and better, um, are we seeing growth? If our goal was we need to increase, uh, reservations by 10% this year, and we need to increase it 10% on organic, 5% on paid, and I don't know, 20% on email. Now that our email list is bigger, you can set those KPIs and see whether you're hitting that by following that trend chart. And anybody who's into forecasting or reviews a PL or looks at a star report every month is used to doing that exact same thing. You're always, you know, benchmarking against previous periods to see how your your growth is, how you're performing. And I'm I'm much I'm a much bigger fan of of trend charts than bar charts. You know, I, I just I love being able to to visually see, you know, the overtime change. And for me, that's just, and everyone's different, but that to me is a, is a pretty clear picture of, you know, how are we doing? Cause yeah, it lets you know in, in, in very, very simple terms. Yeah. Yeah. If it, if it's actually working or if you're just, you know, you're kind of looking at vanity metrics, I guess. Um, what is a modern or what, sh- okay. I guess I'll, I go back to my first statement where, you know, a lot of hotel websites look the same. What, where we are right now with digital marketing, content marketing, what should a modern website look like? Because a lot of these hotel sites haven't really changed uh, sure. over the last five, 10 years. Right. Well, well, there's there's a few things that we have to talk about there. I think the first one is is functionality. Functionality and knowing that you know 85% of our visitors are coming in from these, right? And not from desktop computers. Uh, they're using their phones as they're you know, researching and navigating to get to your website. So I think from a functionality standpoint, your your site should appear, you know, very easy to navigate on a mobile device. You should be able to get to a place where the user can book a reservation with just their thumb and one hand. They should be able to get through an entire experience just by tap, tap, tap and be done. Um, and if you're not there yet, work toward that. Maybe set that as your KPI for the year is we need to be able to have... Um, you know, most of our visitors get through a reservation uh, by just using their thumb. Um, so I think that's from a functionality standpoint, really important. Reducing functionality that you know users aren't using, all those pretty sliders and carousels and and you know, really shiny things that you think your customers care about. They don't. They want to get through a transaction quickly because they have other things they want to do with their life. They don't want to play with their website. So I would say you know, keep the uh, the business in the front and the party in the back, right? Uh, so uh, that's, I think, really important. Page speed is becoming more and more important and not just, you know, for, for SEO. Google's made uh, you know, huge strides to try to push webmasters to make their sites load in under two seconds. And um, they've created all sorts of free tools you could use, like the Google Page Speed Insights tool to test how fast your website is loading. Um, I would always say that the goal is to continuously increase and improve all of those different factors, not create, uh, set it as a set and forget it. We don't want to mm-hmm. just say, okay, we've we've got it down to two seconds, we're done. Every month, look at what else can we remove? What else can we simplify? What else can we can we do to make our site simple and super, super fast? Mm-hmm. So I think functionality is number one. Number two is design. Um, I think I think the, a problem a lot of businesses have, not just in hospitality, is that they're designing and building a website based on what they want to share about their business. People don't care about that. They care about what they're interested in. So what they should be looking at is what customers are saying about them and about their their competitors and reviews about the things they like and that they enjoy and that um, 
you know, that they that they really value and creating a, a visual experience through images and, and videos that's that solve for those needs, solve for the user's intent. What do you want? What are you looking for? What do you enjoy? What's the reason you're traveling? Right. Why did you choose La Jolla over um, San Diego? Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's looking at all those those different things that your consumers want and building your website and designing your website around what solves, you know, uh, the things that your customers are really looking to do when they, when they resonate with the site and they get there and they're like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And mm-hmm. Google calls it a delightful experience, right? If you can provide a delightful experience with all the helpful information that they need, solving all the questions that they have about the location, the, uh, the weather, the uh, attractions nearby, having all of those things available um, in a very easy to find format for a mobile user, I think would be, um, you know, part two, right? Functionality mm-hmm. and design, you know, I think are, are fundamental. Uh, the rest, you know, really revolves around your marketing automation process and your your SEO mm-hmm. and um, what you're doing to make sure that you're addressing certain keywords people are looking for, um, where they go after they uh, have completed a transaction. Are you encouraging them to leave a review and give you feedback so they can contribute using user-generated content? Um, you know, to your overall marketing efforts or when they're done with the transaction, are you done with them? And you're just like, okay, I'm done with you. You signed up, I'm over. It's like, no, mm-hmm. hey, thanks for signing up. Thanks for re- reserving. By the way, here's some other things that, you know, we uh, we want to over uh, be overachievers on and exceed your expectations. So now that you've reserved, we want to give you this and this and this. And by the way, here's some other things you could do. Um, so I think I think keeping that, that's, that process going after the transaction uh, is is in some cases more important than getting the transaction itself. So yeah. I think I think there's three areas to look at, right? Is is your your functionality, your design, um, and then the digital marketing components that sort of run behind the scenes. So, you know, I mean, that's all that's all really, I mean, incredible insight. And as you're going through that, I'm thinking about our website and I, the process that that we went through, not just to build the the podcast website, but we're building a new site for. Uh, for our vacation rental management company, and and all of this is is ringing in my head as we're going through that. And thankfully, we've got a developer who's who's helping us and kind of asking those questions and okay. and shepherding us through. I like him already. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he. But I you know, I can see a, many scenarios where you might have somebody like a director or a VP of marketing who's who's in a job right now who doesn't. This is a little outside of their wheelhouse. Sure. Um, where do you go? to know where you need to put your effort in on your site, especially if you haven't done it in a while. And if sure. like, if you do load it up on your phone, you're like, yeah, it looks fine to me. I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm a big believer in not reinventing the wheel. <laughs> I think there's been a lot of businesses that have been doing digital marketing for quite some time, chipping away at their own content strategy, at their own way to organize their website, that their own list of keywords they want to address. Um, so. I think you could probably look at the top 10 to 20 competitors or go absolutely crazy and look at the top 50 in your industry, you know, and reverse engineer them. Use mm. tools like SEM Rush, for example, where you can drop in all of those uh, those different websites and, and they'll spit out a list of all the keywords that they're appearing for. Create some filters to remove their brand names because we're obviously not going to try to rank for their name. Um, and then combine all those into one giant aggregate report of all the different things 
uh, that, that those businesses and those industries are doing from an SEO standpoint, from a referral tra- standpoint, uh, where are they getting links from other websites? Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you run some pivot tables with all that data, you come up with some really interesting ideas. Um, here are the keywords that all the competitors are appearing for that we're not. We should really make sure we've addressed that. Here's how the, the competitors typically organize their website and their content strategy. Here's the types of content they're pushing out on blog posts. Here's the pages that get the most traffic on their websites. Let's take a look at those to see what we could do to come up with something similar or better. Like, wow, all the restaurants in the in the industry are are doing Veterans Day free meals. That's really interesting. Let's try that. Let's do a Veterans Day free meals page. Um, and then let's go to all the places that mention our competitors and say, hey, we offer free meals on Veterans Day too. Wow, military.gov. Uh, va.org. Wow, look at all these great links that we're getting from these sites wow. that are sending us referral traffic and and benefiting our SEO simply by looking at what's working for the competition and not reinventing the wheel, coming up with some ideas that are inspired by or even very similar to what the competition's doing, and then just doing it better. That's great advice. Yeah, I think we get so stuck in being creative and having to come up with the next next big thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't want to say steal what the other guys are doing, but you know heavily inspired. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's yeah. an industry search term that people are looking for, yeah. uh, if they're searching for beachfront hotel with a balcony and you've got that, you're not stealing from them because you've got that. You should have a page that describes yeah. that and the attributes on that page that allow the users to find that, that URL in the search results. Um, you're not copying them, right? You're saying, oh, that's an obvious thing that we need to do because we also offer that same service. So it's, it's sort of like if um, if you're in New York and you're doing you know window shopping, and you know you you see what's what's really working and what's you know what customers are interested in, why put that in the back of the store? You know yeah. if you see that that's a, a hot trend right now, put it in the window. You, know? you bring up uh, keywords and search terms, uh, which is a whole other universe. Uh, if we could dive into it for a second, at least sure. it is to the layman. It's a bit of it's another universe, <laughs> uh, and I and to me. Uh, keywords and content are, they, they're, they go, they go together. Um, when you're talking about making sure that you show up when people search certain terms, what is the place where two questions, how do you, how do you, SEM rush, I'll link it in the show notes. That's a really great place to start, but how do you make sure that the, the right thing that people could be searching is sure. in the right place on your site to be found. That's that's definitely the the one area of SEO that's the most challenging for a lot of agencies, for a lot of freelancers. Um, it's something that that takes the longest amount of time in your SEO roadmap strategy. I mean, you can perform a tech audit, you know, a competitive you know comparison baseline report, do a link audit and strategy, and have all of those lined up. In some cases, within a few days. But the content strategy, the the taking that aggregate list of keywords and organizing it into a, a structure is, is by far the most challenging piece. Again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel if you want to start by looking at what's working for the competition and then emulating their site structure and the, the pages and the content that they have is a great place to start. Then as you start to get more data and what's working and what's um, what search terms are actually converting into reservations for you, then you can augment your, your content strategy to apply some of those search terms to appear for words that end up driving customers and revenue, not just visits. Um, mm-hmm. But 
but you're right. It's it's a really challenging area, and there's there's so many different user intents based on the query that's used. If they use a a query such as you know hotel ocean view hotel with balcony, there's obviously an intent there. They they are looking for a hotel with a balcony. But if they perform a search, um, you know, for something like uh, beach travel ideas, maybe they're not looking for a hotel yet. Maybe mm. they don't want to be sold on a room with a balcony. Right. So their user intent there is maybe I'm just thinking about 2023 and what we want to do for a vacation in a couple of years when the kids are gone. And um, and those informational, you know, upper funnel pages are great for building brand awareness, getting um, folks to subscribe to your, your newsletters. Um, it's a great place to have some really casual, but also very helpful content that isn't created um, with an intent to try to sell a customer. That lower funnel persuasive sales content, you know, should be to the points, should be helpful, should solve everything that they're looking for without all of the long form words and content. Um, so there's there's the first place I would start is looking at that that whole buyer's journey. Where are they when, um, you know, when they're performing that search? If they're in that informational phase, um, you know, then you know, let's make sure our content addresses. Um, you know, that need and isn't too salesy. And if they're in that lower funnel and they're looking to buy and looking to purchase, don't waste their time with a lot of extra content they're not interested in. Focus mm-hmm. on sales principles like trust, urgency, scarcity, reciprocity, um, authority. You know, all of those signals play a role in, in what goes into the the uh, the flow of that particular page that they get to. Um, mm-hmm. But I can tell you, as you do start to organize all those great keywords that you're finding from tools like SEMrush, um, that that you're going to learn a little bit more about your customers. Uh, I know uh, there was a spiral staircase company that we'd worked with, and mm-hmm. they had ten pages on their website. It was ten uh, prefab uh, spiral staircases, but there's so many different reasons somebody would buy one of those. And when we looked at the competitive landscape, we found words like um, oh, was it deck and deck stairs, basement stairs, um, spiral stairs for patio, um, mm-hmm. all these different search terms that were coming up. We're like, you know what? We could we could bundle those into uses and create a, a navigational element that says spiral stairs for, and then have all of those different reasons. And then let's take some pictures of our products used in those cases so that we can show them what our product looks like as a, um, a balcony stair or a, a basement staircase or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, wow, people are using material. They're using um, steel and um, glass and wood Let's create pages for those underneath by material, right? Like what what material type of, of product are you looking for? And then break it down. With Jacuzzi, we found that they were looking by um, how many people uh, were in the hot tub. I need a three-person hot tub, a five-person hot tub. But there's nothing on the website for that. It's just, here's a list of our hot tubs. Well, mm. what if we create a navigational section that says by um, by number of people, right? Yeah. And then we yeah, have a right. page specifically for two to three, you know. So it all it all translates into your content roadmap or your site map, um, and when you do that exercise, you're going to give yourself the you know the five year content plan, and you're never going to need to revisit it other than when you find something new you know in some of the data itself. Hmm. Interesting. So when you think about or when you when you're recommending content for like a hotel website or a restaurant website. Um, Again, a lot of these sites are kind of the same. The you know homepage is like you know, you're you're either these are all of our great properties and why we're so such a great brand, uh, or you know this is our company and this is why we're so great. And then you know there might be a rooms page, a food and beverage page. You've got your booking widget in the header, 
uh, and then maybe an amenities or some other things going on. And if you're lucky, there's an events thing that gets updated seasonally. It's usually about it. Uh, so putting together content for a website, like a hotel company uh, for a hotel company, are you talking about blog posts? Are you talking about, um, splitting out individual pages that may speak to different segments that might be looking to buy with you? Or is it, is it all of that? I would, I would definitely look at your site structure and use supportive content to boost the relevancy of your competitive uh, content. So if you're if you're going after that oceanfront um, hotel with balcony, and that's your primary keyword, the more supportive content you can create underneath that URL, right? Not on the blog, but underneath that URL will give you much more helpful content in that silo underneath that competitive page. Uh, we had a attorney who wanted to be number one for truck accident lawyer nationally. And we got him there before competitors did some really nasty negative SEO to him. But uh, mm-hmm. but we got him there. And it took 100 different subpages around all the different types of truck accidents that somebody might get into, the reasons that caused the accidents, the negligence, the maintenance issues, an accident portal we created. And they all were nested underneath that truck accident lawyer section. It took mm-hmm. a year to develop all of that content in a year to get them to that top position, but it worked by creating supportive content. Now the blog is a great way to, to sort of curate your own content and share it. Um, I would add a little uh, special tag to the code of that page, a, a canonical tag that would tell the search engines, look, I've got two versions of this. One that's a supportive page and one that I'm using in my RSS feed for people who subscribe to our blog. Please mm-hmm. index the supportive page and you know, um, if people are linking to this page, let's pass those link the, the link value to the actual supportive page. And then, you know, if, if you want to curate some of your content like that in the blog, I think it's great. Um, otherwise, the blog should be used for you know news, industry news. Um, hey, our hotel's opening up for winter, you know, hours. We've got this new special happening. There's, um, you know, hey, you're worried about the earthquake that just happened. Don't worry, we're fine. Right? Just just keep it relevant to what's happening now. Um, and you know, use use you know the 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 good evergreen content to support those competitive pages that you want to appear for. Yeah, um, I I get the sense through my own conversations and being in a lot of these meetings that the marketing meetings that the distilling of who you're trying to appeal to is a very difficult process because you want to cast a wide. I th- I think it's the you don't want to, but like the human nature is to want to cast a wide net to appeal to as many people as possible. Sure. Um, and what I've, what I've learned is that that's probably never the right move. You really have to figure out who your, who your audience is. <laughs> be um, specific. Be specific. Yeah. And I guess that in that, like appealing to all is really appealing to none methodology. How do you figure out who your ideal guest is to be able to, because because again, if you have always looked at it through this as wide a scope lens, but you really need to narrow it down. Sure. How do you how do you start doing that? Well, I think your web analytics will give you a lot of that insight. Your returning visitors, for example, your marketing automation. So when you when you do um, capture their information and you put them in your CRM, whether it's Salesforce or your hospital CRM, and you look at the lifetime value of those customers, those are those are gold, right? Those customers that are going to come back over and over and over again. And the more we can learn about their journey by by looking at that information as a custom segment in our analytics, what pages did they go to? 
Where do they drop off? What are they clicking on? What aren't they clicking on? How can we massage the content to give our ideal user exactly what they're looking for? I think that's where I would start is dig into the analytics, look at, at you know, what your, your best customers uh, are doing, how they're interacting with your content and work to get them through transactions quicker, uh, mm -hmm. to get them the information that they, they need faster, to remove elements that are distracting in that process um, so that you've got a nice streamlined, super simplified website that addresses just your, your target audience. But that doesn't mean you can't bring in some new customers or, or um, you know, turn somebody into somebody who wasn't your ideal customer into loving your brand by you know, coming up with content that satisfies what they're looking for. So I think I think there's some things that you could do when you look at some of these tools that are out there. I mentioned one, SEM Rush. You could also use a tool called Answer the Public. And this one has a free version. It's called AnswerThePublic.com, and just put in um, you know a very broad word around you know what you what you do and where you are, and and see what kind of questions come up, like what's where, how, when, ideas, trips, uh, or or um, uh, tips, strategies, right? All those different things that that are really upper funnel to figure out what people are actually searching. They actually, mm. they scrape the Google auto suggestions to come up with those questions. So as mm. somebody's typing in a question, um, you know, it, it basically gets recorded and stored in a database and you can actually see what people are looking for and come up with content, um, specific pages on your website that solve for those things and still drive new customers and build, um, you know, more brand awareness for people who might be a customer in a year or two from now. So I think there's wow. two approaches. One look at the data, right? Um, and then two, experiment by creating pages that do address those users that might not fall underneath that broad umbrella. And, and a lot of that falls into, there's a book about it called The Long Tail. And The Long Tail is, you know, those search terms that are more specific. They're five or six keywords. Like I'd, I'd mentioned the oceanfront hotel with a balcony, right? That's a very long tail search term. It's not just Hotel La Jolla, right? It's, it's a very specific word that they're looking for. So having a page shows a picture of a balcony overlooking the ocean, right? You've satisfied the user's intent and mm -hmm. hopefully brought in a new customer who had a very specific need. Yeah. Um, I like what you said about reducing, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but reducing friction or yes. making it easier for people to move through the process. And as, as an operator, that's kind of what you're doing all day is you're just trying to remove those friction points, whether it's in the guest experience, when they're on site, whether it's operationally, uh, back of house, front of house, whether it's figuring out if you put any processes in place that make it harder for people to do their jobs. You're always looking for ways to, to distill and make easier. And I think that methodology with the website is, uh, equally as important because you can't reduce friction on site if nobody's booking. <laughs> yeah. The website's a, a living, breathing thing and yeah. you can't just set it and forget it. Your, your competitors aren't going to rest on their laurels. They're going to try to outrank you. They're going to try to cannibalize your traffic that you're getting from Google maps and, you know, and from Bing local and Yahoo local, if you still use Yahoo, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to try to get that traffic from you. They have marketing departments that are watching everything that you're doing and they're going to want to try to take that traffic from you. So every month you've got to come up with um, more innovation. You've got to marry your your paid and your organic search. You've got to um, run those A/B tests, run those focus groups, ask your customers. Uh, maybe one out of ten customers, a little pop up that comes up saying, "Would you be willing to give us some feedback about our website? What could we be doing better?" 
you know, just constantly chipping away to 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 be better and to grow better. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there's there's no business that launches a website and it's just immediately successful. It takes some learning and it takes some um, you know crafting of of the content and the design and the layout and the flow and the functionality to to get it right. So um, yeah, check it's a living breathing thing. <laughs> it's a probably a good segue in, into the paid versus organic sure. discussion. Um, and I mean, I think a very simple question would be simple as in like, not very thoughtful, uh, you know, how do you improve your search results? Sure. But we've been talking a lot about that kind of through this entire episode here. Of course. Um, but the paid versus organic discussion is, is an area that, I, that is really interesting to me. Uh, and I know to a lot of people because the paid thing can seem expensive, not beneficial. If you've tried it, you know, a few times in the past, you didn't really get the results you were hoping for. You're like, a lot ah, of jaded doesn't business work. owners out there. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, if you've ever, I mean, anybody do it right now. Well, after the show, do it. Uh, Google search uh, a, a hotel in a city or just be like downtown hotel, Seattle or whatever city. And the almost the entire first page is keywords that were purchased by online travel agencies. So you, as a, as an, as a hotel, whether, and in some cases, the big brands don't even show up on the first page, but definitely independent hotels have a hard time showing up even on the second or third page. Sure. Um, how, how should people be looking at this? Well, you brought up, you brought up a couple of good points. The first point is to not be myopic on the blue link, black text listings, because your business can show up in uh, a universal search result that includes a map pack ads. Um, it can include videos. It can include pictures. And if you're optimizing your content to appear in all of those different areas, you have a higher probability of being clicked on in the search results. You could probably get 50% of the real estate in a search result if you don't get hung up on just the blue link, black text. So I would hmm. start there and looking at how I can get more saturation, not just you know have a, a, a regular organic listing. On the paid side of things, of course, it's always it's always good to work with a uh, you know, an expert at um, at that particular marketing discipline. So whether you're you're working with an agency or um, you know somebody who's uh, maybe freelancing who who does paid search for a living in a in a corporation somewhere, and you get them to set up that initial campaign build so that when you uh, when you do have your Google Ads account and Bing Ads account set up, they're they're being set up in a way that's it's intuitive uh, toward what your business goals are. And the way I would set a paid search account up is I'd start with the, the company and brand name. So I always own my name. So I have a campaign that's just for people searching for my hotel, for example. Um, and then I'd have another campaign that's around the, um, you know, the product type. So hotels in, like you said, hotels in or hotel near, um, uh, hotel ideas, right? Those ones that where people are looking just for that. And then if I've done well with my budget that I have for my brand and for the type of product or service that I have, then I might get into a campaign for the benefits, right? Because they're not specifically looking for me yet, but I'll get into those benefits. Sometimes there's some really big wins in there because the competition tends to get really hung up on the competitive keywords. I want to rank for Hotel La Jolla in paid search, and I'm willing to spend $50 for every click that happens to do that. And like, wow, that's really expensive. But if you can bid for a keyword where someone's looking for La Jolla travel ideas, and only pay 15 cents per click and get a lot of impressions and uh, and drive them into a really good sales funnel to become a customer, 
you know, you got to think out of the box a bit. So one of the things I like to do once that campaign's up and it's running, especially if you can invest a lot in the beginning as it's going and and chip away and start pulling out keywords that aren't conducive to, to bringing in new reservations. Mm-hmm. So you look at the data every day like a hawk and you're like, oh, I don't want to show up for this. And you click it and you say, you know, ad is a negative keyword and Google will immediately remove it as a, a word that they use to display your ad. And you just mm-hmm. live and breathe in that report for a few days or a few weeks by the end of the month, your campaign's only going to be keywords that that are very specific to what you're targeting, and all the broad stuff that would have wasted your money um, is going to be pulled out and gone. Um, and then you look at the data as it comes in. You look at your search term reports to see what actual search terms, not the keywords you bid on, but the search term that that keyword um, encompasses, because they'll they'll show your uh, your ad for you know a thousand different search terms that all relate to one keyword that you're bidding on. Mm-hmm. And you look at those search terms and you're like, wow, these all these search terms converted to reservations. I'm gonna take that group and I'm gonna apply that toward our, our content strategy and incorporate them into the content. What's interesting when you do that, suddenly your ad relevancy and your landing page relevancy scores improve in Google ads and Bing ads. And they're giving you lower cost per clicks because now you have a higher quality score because you're using the words that, um, you know, that are creating conversions in the, uh, the paid search. Same thing on the display side, as you start doing ads and you're like, Hmm, I'm going to target, I'm going to target, um, this particular travel site and, um, Condé Nash and a few other travel sites and see where I can get some really good customers. And then you watch and you look at that data and you go into your placement report and you're like, Whoa, these sites actually generate a lot of reservations for us. Let's reach out to them directly and see what kind of advertising we can do with them directly. And maybe even come up with an angle to do something organic with them, like a contributed post. Maybe we'll create some custom pictures that are just for them that they could add to a post about La Jolla and and contribute that as a way to get a link or attribution to our site to benefit our SEO efforts. Um, on the SEO side, you could go into your Google Search Console, a free tool that Google offers, go to that URL that, that you're looking at specifically, see what search terms uh, you're getting organically to that page, and then move those over to your ad group within the Google Ads platform. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, the quality score on the keywords in that ad group go from you know a six out of 10 to a nine out of 10. And again, wow. you're paying lower costs, lower cost per reservation, lower cost per click, because you're applying uh, organic search data to your paid search campaigns. Mm-hmm. So those are some ways that you can you can marry your paid and organic to help benefit both. But the the tests that have been been um, done to look at what's better have all shown that it doesn't matter if you're doing both, you're going to get more clicks. So you should be always doing both if you can afford to do it. Should you be and you meant you kind of alluded to this through what you were just talking about. Um, should you be doing campaigns, paid campaigns for a certain period of time? Because th- and and the, the caveat to the question is, I th- I think that the tendency is to maybe run something for three, five, seven days, and like if you're not really getting the results that you were hoping you were going to get, based off of this conversation, there's probably many reasons why that might be the case. Sure. Uh, that you just you give up on it. Is there is there a kind of a time window that you should expect to be going into a paid campaign for? No, because cost is going to vary per click, so it's going to be going to be based on what you're willing to spend per per reservation, for example. If you're willing to spend $50 to get somebody to reserve a room, um, then you're gonna look at the data until you say, hey, I've I've spent $500 on this keyword and haven't gotten a single reservation yet. Mm -hmm. I think the 
the number and, and the cost per keyword will help dictate it. But as an optimizer, I'm not someone who likes to turn anything off. I like to just bid down a bit and say, you know what, I'll, I'll spend 15 cents a click and maybe I'll only show up once out of every thousand times. And in a year from now, I'll look back and I'll say, wow, actually this keyword did turn out to be a good one for us. Let's hmm. let's amplify it. And the great thing about the way that the, the automated bidding works now in the system is that Google does all that bid adjustment work for you. So you can actually go in and set an actual cost per lead and it'll up and and uh, it'll raise and lower your your cost per click based on what's what your business objectives are. You can even get into ROI if you're an e-commerce site now and and bid based on your ROI goals, not just your return on ad spend or your um, cost per lead um, uh, you know goals. You can do it now based you know, specifically based on your ROI. So mm-hmm. it's it's gotten so intelligent that now you really just have to spend your time and energy looking at improving your landing pages. Um, looking at improving your your ad copy, um, maybe studying what's working for your competitors and drawing inspiration for different titles and descriptions and extensions to use that seem to be working for competitors. Run those tests and don't worry as much about the bidding anymore. You've already said, hey, search engine, I'm willing to spend $50 for a reservation. They're going to bid up and down. Let them do their thing. Um, the time on it is infinite. Just let it do its thing. It and run. over time, it'll work itself out. But if you turn it off too soon, um, you won't know. That could be, actually be a good keyword for you. I can't uh, end this conversation without sneaking in social <laughs> in, into the discussion here. Sure. And this might be this might be uh, episode two, if you're up for it. <laughs> but I'm always up for it. Where, where, does, where do social media accounts play into this? Do they? Um, so there's no there's no direct correlation from from the data that I've looked at for for social media engagement benefiting SEO. There's no direct correlation to it. Uh, Rand Fishkin um, he he ran some tests and he showed that right now because Twitter is opening up its doors to Google that a little more activity in Twitter such as um, sharing and resharing content could have a, an incremental benefit. Because if, if your brand and those keywords are being mentioned across multiple pages of Twitter, because people who tend to get a lot of traffic to their Twitter profiles are sharing that content, um, that could benefit you. I wouldn't use robots and fake profiles to do it because those sites don't get linked to and don't really have a lot of value. But if you were mm-hmm. to use social, I think Twitter would be where I would start if you're looking to benefit your 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 SEO directly. Now, there is an indirect benefit, right? There's, there's this whole idea of... Um, correlation versus causation that you hear a lot about in the SEO industry. And what I like about social is if you're able to convince people through your upper funnel content and through your social sharing to become followers of your page, of your profile, of your brand on social media, and you build it up to a place where you've got 100,000 people that are following you, when you share content, a small percentage of those people might have their own websites and might be interested or or um, motivated to link to your content. That's hmm. the end goal. Is if we can get in front of enough people, then a small percentage of them might be in, uh, influential enough to help us to create links to our pages that we're promoting through social media. Um, on the paid side of social, you can just kill it with paid ads. I know it's it's a little bit more restrictive now on Facebook thanks to some of the privacy changes, but but holistically looking at all of the different social media and how often people are on their Facebooks, their Instagrams, and their TikTok more now than ever, um, I would definitely start experimenting with it. My friend Dennis Yu, 
um, of Blitzmetrics has this this program he created called a dollar a day, right? And you put a dollar a day into Facebook ads, um, and and just watch, look at the data, and 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 just sort of keep you know upping your bid every day of what you're willing to spend, and um, and uh, removing demographics that aren't really working for you, and and playing a lot with the the paid social targeting uh, that that you have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, social can be huge for you, especially in travel. I would almost I would almost say. And I don't want to kind of, you know, cut my own throat here, but I would almost <laughs> say that you're you're probably going to get more customers from some of the amazing media that you're going to share in social media than you would from search because of the, the high cost of what it takes to do a paid search campaign and to nurture an organic campaign. I would still yeah. do it, but I think you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck quicker uh, by doing uh, paid social. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, yeah. Okay. So my, my next question, and you just answered it there was if you only had, like, is it better to focus on one platform specifically, or if you've let's say you've got, so you got a thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. do you do a thousand dollars a month into Google or, or do you split it up? Maybe a little bit of social, a little bit of Google, a little bit of Bing sure. across the board. Right. Well, with, with some of the paid search platforms, you're going to set those uh, specific goals up like the cost per lead. And if you're putting $100 into Google and your cost per lead is $50, that means that um, that you're expecting from that that um, that $100 investment to get two sales out of it per day. And that means that, that Google's not going to display your ad very often because you've only got you know a couple clicks that you can get to be able to get that that um, that conversion. So it it won't have much to work with without a lot of budget to play with. So mm-hmm. ten years ago, I would have said, you know, create a, a tactic utilization chart of all the different things you could be doing, and then spread your budget among all of them and do a few dollars a day. But now, thanks to how some of the the um, you know the intelligence works, the AI works in some of these systems, um, you do benefit more by having more budget in one thing than the other. So I would I would probably start in one if you've got a thousand dollar budget, like Facebook ads or TikTok ads. Um, and then as it starts working and you're working with an expert to get it optimized so it's actually performing for you and you're generating revenue from it, you get to a place where you're like, okay, great, I've got some extra revenue. Let me take that new extra revenue that I got from this and put it into Google. So I, I think that's how I would do it in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Steve, this was an incredible conversation. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of fun. You know, I, I learned a lot through it um, <laughs> and I, I, I sure hope the listeners... Uh, uh, stayed through it and learned a lot as well. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what you're up to, what's a good place for them to go? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, my, my handle's SEO Steve everywhere. Still. Yep. Okay. Still okay. is. I don't, I'm not as, as active as I used to be, but I'm, I'm available and I, I do respond very quickly when somebody does have a question. Um, if you want to hit up anyone on our team here, we love to help small businesses. Um, so, you know, just, just look for Wiedemann, W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N on any social channel and whatever we can do to um, help you get started by giving you some some free roadmaps or some free advice or some free guides. You could also take our free training program if you'd like to. Uh, it's not free, but for your listeners, it will be. Uh, you just go to academyofsearch.com and it's a, a course that I created that mimics what I teach at Cal State Fullerton. Um, just use code SEO Steve again, and uh, and you can get free access to that course and get all the templates and everything that we use in our business with um, you know the amazing clients that we have. That's an incredible offer. Thanks for sending that out to the uh, to, to the listeners. Steve, again, I'd love to have you back on sometime down the road Anytime. just to revisit some of these things. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Likewise, thank you. This was my episode with Steve Wiedemann. 
You can learn more about him at SEO Steve on social and at Wiedemann.com. That's W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N.com. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.